Thank you so much. You know that I love the word and to be here behind this, which I know you never use. Very, this means a lot to me that you would. I love to be behind the pulpit. I love to be under the word of God. I love to be before God's people. And so I don't take for granted the privilege of standing before this precious body of Christ that Louis loves so much and God loves more. So let's pray again that God would come and help me and you connect in the word. So Father, I ask now that as we are in this series of Hope Has a Name, and the name is Jesus, that you would deepen and intensify and strengthen and release hope in every heart in this place. And that the upshot of that hope, according to this text, would be a kind of compassion and a kind of courage that is willing to suffer for the name. So come, I pray, and do that deep, hard, glorious, beautiful, Christ-exalting work, I ask, through Christ. Amen. So as I understand the text we're going to be looking at, the theme over our time together will be the connection between hope and courage, or hope and compassion, or hope and love, or hope and sacrifice. All those pieces go together. Hope and joy, courage, sacrifice, love, compassion. That's all one package when Christ comes into your life. I know that, that I was listening to the message from last week, and uh, Louis said, we, we want to shift our language from hope for to hope in. And that is hope in a person, not hope for a successful year. Nothing wrong with a successful year. It's just the wrong priorities, a bad strategy, he said. And he and I know both, and you know, that when you hope in Jesus as the ground of your future, he's also what you hope for. Louis's not denying that. He's just saying there's a lot of stuff to hope for that can preempt Jesus underneath and on the top and in front. So when you hear me today talk about hope, no, I'm saying amen, amen, hope in, rooted in Jesus, our only hope. You know, when you talk about a ball game, you can say, um, Let's go back a generation. Michael Jordan is our only hope. Don't, no, no offense to anybody's team anywhere. Michael Jordan is our only hope. Well, that, what do you mean by that? Or you can say, victory is our hope. See the different ways we use hope? A person is the key. Or I want to get this done. We're going to win this game. That's my hope. So there's no contradiction between saying, we're hoping in Jesus and the victory we hope for is, I want to see him. I want to be with him forever. So that's my mental connection between last week and the beginning of this series. And Louis told me where he was going and what the, what the series was. He said, just do some hope if you would. And I said, not a problem. Everything's on hope. Every verse in the Bible is hope filled. It's not a, not a challenge for me to talk about hope. 
Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. If you have a Bible in your lap, that would be great. If you want to read it, uh, I think they're going to put it up here. But I'm going to refer to it a lot, and I don't know whether they'll be putting it up a lot, but uh, I want you to see what's here. I don't give a rip what John Piper thinks, and you shouldn't either, right? Fallible, human, fearful, inadequate, undeserving, crabby, <laughs> inadequate husband, inadequate father. What do you care? You shouldn't. You should care. Will he tell us what God said? And the only assurance you will have that I have done that is, do you see it in the book? Okay, so that's why I care about Bibles. Um, like on your phone, you got a Bible on your phone, everybody should have a Bible on his phone. So get one of those if you don't have. Download it right now, it's okay, I'm all right with that. You version would work, that's free. A lot of others. Just get a, get a Bible, carry it with you in your pocket. Here we are, Hebrews 10, 32 to 36. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on the prisoners, the people in prison, and you joyfully, that's a stunning, off the charts, unexpected word here, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, your hope, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that you, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The church in America, as I at age 69, have watched her now for a long time, um, is slowly awakening from the distortion of about 350 years of dominance and prosperity in America. Let me say that sentence again. Paradigm determining for me. The church in America, and I'm just thinking right across the board, no particular denomination, Protestant, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. The church in America today is slowly awakening from the distortion of about 350 years, namely the length of our country, of dominance, distortion of dominance, and prosperity. What I mean by dominance is that in most American history, most of American history, until recently, being a Christian has been viewed as normal, good, patriotic, 
culturally acceptable, even beneficial. And what I mean by prosperous, 350 years of prosperous is that by and large, being a Christian has generally resulted in things going well for you, especially in the South. I grew up three hours from here in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm a Southerner by birth. I grew up in the horrors of some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about in a minute. We're Christian in the South. We're Americans. And what I mean by distortion, the distortion of 350 years of dominance and prosperity is that this 350-year history of our dominance and prosperity has created a massively, deeply 